Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast series, and I'm your host, Maddie Gobo, the events manager here at Skylight Books in beautiful, currently rainy Los Angeles. Um, I don't know if you guys are here in LA listening, uh, but today we woke up to a full-on thunderstorm. It was amazing. I mean, lightning, uh, just drenching, drenching downpours. Uh, It felt so cleansing and good after a very dry and fiery year. Um, so kind of a nice way, a nice cleansing way to end 2020. <laughs> um, and I'm really, I'm just delighted today to welcome uh, Lori Badikian and Dorian Locks, who are both poets. They're going to be in conversation today um, about both of their works, um, and they're also going to be reading some poems for you. Um, first, just a few words about the store. So we are open right now, 11 to 7 uh, weekdays and 10 to 8 weekends. We do ask that you wear a mask and socially distance and sanitize your hands. Things are scary here in LA County. Um, we are trying our very, very best to take care of each other. Of course, you know, small businesses have to survive somehow. So we do really appreciate your business, but we want to encourage you to use our fantastically convenient curbside pickup option um, or our online ordering on our website, skylightbooks.com. We're happy to ship books to you as well for maximum contactless book acquiring. All right. (laughs) So uh, let's go ahead and bring our guests aboard. So I'm going to read their bio so you get to know them a little bit. All right, so Lori Bedickian's first collection, The Book of Lamenting, was awarded the 2010 Philip Levine Prize for Poetry. She earned an MFA in Poetry from the University of Oregon, where she was awarded the Dan Kimball First Year Teaching Award for Poetry. Her work has been selected several times as a finalist in the Crab Orchard Series in Poetry Open Competition and in the Crab Orchard Series in Poetry First Book Award Competition, and has received grants from the Money for Women, Barbara Deming Memorial Fund, and AFFMA. Poets and writers chose her work as a finalist for the 2010 California Writers Exchange Award. Additionally, her poetry was included in the anthology Wide Awake, Poets of Los Angeles and Beyond, which came out from Beyond Baroque Books, and was chosen as a finalist in the 2015 Arojo Orlando competition. Badikian's newer work has been published in Miramar, has been featured on the Best American Poetry blog as part of the Where My Dreaming and My Loving Live Poetry and the Body series, is included in the fall 2018 issue of Tin House and appears in recent issues of the Los Angeles Review and Moria, as well as on poets.org. Her poem, The Mechanic, is included in the recently released anthology, Borderlines, Poems of Migration, which just came out this year from Knopf. Also, her poem, On the Way to Oshagan, 
will be featured by Padraig Otuama in a forthcoming, I've definitely mangled his name, sorry, Padraig, Padraig Otuama in a forthcoming Poetry Unbound podcast. All right, and joining Lori today is Dorianne Locks. Dorianne Locks's sixth collection, Only As the Day Is Long, New and Selected Poems, was named a finalist for the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. It's a pretty big deal, you guys. I don't know if you guys have heard of this little prize, the Pulitzer. <laughs> Congratulations, Dorian. Uh, her fifth collection, The Book of Men, was awarded the Patterson Prize. Her fourth book of poems, Facts About the Moon, won the Oregon Book Award and was shortlisted for the Lenore Marshall Poetry Prize. Locks is also the author of Awake, What We Carry, a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award, Smoke, as well as a fine small press edition, The Book of Women. She is the co-author of the celebrated text, The Poet's Companion, A Guide to the Pleasures of Writing Poetry. Lori, Lori and Dorian, welcome to the podcast. I'm so delighted to have you. Um, Lori, it's, it's fun to welcome you back after we did a, a great virtual event together this year. Yes. Um, and so I'm so glad to have you both here. Thanks Thank for joining you. me. Thank you for inviting us. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> so um, do you guys want to start us off with a couple of poems? I, you know what? I want to, can I tell a little story that has to do with Dorianne and me? Of course. I would love that. Yeah. I thought about this last <laughs> night and then the, and then we got a hailstorm and that really woke me up. <laughs> so I thought, wow, this is a blessing. There's hail pounding down on the roof. Now I can really wake up and think about this. Um, so I was Dorianne's student at the University of Oregon and, um, it was a really blessed time. It was a really wonderful time. And um, Dorian used to have us uh, keep a journal. And every week, do you remember that, Dorian? And every week she would look at what we wrote and she'd make little comments in the margins and whatnot. And something that I'll never forget, um, I, I wrote a draft of a poem and then in, at the end of it, I wrote, Dorian, I'm really sorry about this, but you know, they're having a drum circle every night, my neighbors, and I'm losing my goddamn mind. I just went ballistic. And I just went, I said, I'm sorry that I can't write anything good this week, but it just drives me crazy when people are in their driveways and you know, they don't think I went on and on. <laughs> and Dorian said, There's a poem here that you have to write. I thought, what the hell? This is what they pay her for? This, this, you know, like, <laughs> what, what is she talking about? There's a poem here. And I was so upset. And then I thought, well, you know, same old story. Don't get upset. Figure it out. Figure out why you're upset. Figure out why the driveway's pissing you off. Figure out why Dorian, your favorite person ever is pissing you off right now, telling you right about it. So I, I wrote about it and she told me that it was a, a breakthrough poem. And I didn't know what that meant until decades later. And now today, I think I know what a breakthrough is. And it's not something where a mariachi band follows you, but it's, it's something, it's a special moment as a poet. And I never really ever read this poem, so I wanted to read it today. It's from my book, Old Friend. Driveways. I never understood the appeal of it. Sofa pushed to one side of the concrete rectangle, dented garbage cans on the other, a pistachio colored carport over the top. 
We could hear the growl of motorcycles as they crept back onto sidewalks until their silver bodies blurred and then a tunnel of noise. 12. Content with a borrowed bike, I rode up and down blocks observing the long tongues of asphalt or white gray stone stretched into the runways of our suburban bungalows. I never made sense of parked boats covered with blue tarps secured from some imaginary wind dry except for the occasional sprinkler teasing its starboard side. The way people haggled on these stretches, washed their oil-stained squares clean with soap, took a smoke on a beach chair, or simply stood, hands on hips, staring toward nothing, thinking of a time long since past, baffled me. The roads deserted, now and then a pickup truck buzzing by, the mailman's blue bag flashing over the concrete's bare back. Children used them best. Cracks were rivers, their tricycles trains, or the slab became an island, a basketball court, a jungle, or long-awaited classroom. It was the same square on which they left for college, for marriage, for some reason, and if the reasons weren't clear, other driveways buzzed with the possibilities. And some families fought on them boxing rings with someone on the lower corner, ready to exit to sidewalk to car, leaving but never for good. The one standing on the upper side, left to garden, pulling weeds like hair, raking as if they'd find an ex somewhere, finally revealing how to get out of this place. Front yard abandoned, after dusk, two headlights drag through the dark, below plum trees. Driveways were our altars, where we could bless and curse what we became. I rode home too small to know that something makes us want to see the world from this vantage point, from ground hardened over earth, blaring with noonday sun, a dead flag under our feet, rolled out to claim a plot of land, feeling the movement of years upon it, hand over the eyes, calling to the window above and so thanks dorian for over 20 something years ago telling me write about the damn driveway Lori, instead of complaining about it in your journal <laughs> so what, did, what about what did you realize years later that made you realize that was a sort of breakthrough for you yeah okay you know what i had a feeling you might ask me that and i didn't have an answer but i thought i'll think of it on the spot here we go um you know i think it's a breakthrough when the fear is not there you know mm -hmm. i was afraid during the mfa to write about things like that i thought well i got here and i have to read everything that i'm being assigned and I better get the syllabics right. And the, I do, better do this. And I better have a damn good title. And, you know, back then I thought, you can't just write a poem called Driveways. And then I thought, well, write it. And then you write, and then you let the line guide you. And you trust the breadth of the line. And you trust the stanza. There's a lot of trust and less fear. And I think it was a breakthrough because I realized the persona, the me, the I, what is the I afraid of? And it was about the fights on the driveway. 
And, you know, the old Lori would have, the one that got into the Emmons Bay would have really sculpted something gorgeous. Woo, you know, this great poem. And look at this anaphora. And then I've got this whole thing going on. And, you know, this Greek God is compared to the, you know, to the lamppost. No, it was about how I remember me, the poet remembers, and I put that into the speaker and remembers the fights. And the fights were what, you know, and then to not be afraid to mention it and then to kind of rise from it through language and through the music and through the landscape. And, and I think that's why it's a breakthrough because you let go of the fear. Because I'm feeling that today in my poems too, Dorian. I'm feeling like the breakthroughs are the ones, right? I let go of the fear. Yeah, yeah. Whatever that fear may be, yeah. Right. Um, and it's the immediate world, you know, it's the world that you're surrounded by and it has value. Yeah. You know, it has imaginative, creative, uh, humanistic value, you know, and uh, whereas I think often we think that the value is in some other aspect of poetry or something above us or beyond us. You right. know? And in fact, it's just the, the wonderful, beautiful value that you come to at the end of it, which is a, so, a, a singular person looking up into a window and knowing there's either someone there or someone not there that should be there or, you know, um, the, the, the longing of that, you know, after all the activity and the, and the solitary nature of it, just it gives you all that wonderful stuff I mean it might as well be Aphrodite or yeah you know you don't have to go there it's already there right right the world yeah exactly and I feel like I feel like you know now that I think about it I feel like that's how I've always felt about poetry that I'm just riding my bike I'm this 12 year old riding my bike <laughs> through the streets and I'm just observing yeah. I always feel like this observer, even as a poet, sometimes I just don't feel like a participant. I feel like I'm even observing other poets. I mean, I'm observing the world, other poets, you know, what's going on in books, this, that, and the other thing. But I, I'm, I feel as though that poem sort of was a guide back then, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm sure glad you wrote it. I, I'm glad you inspired me to write it. That, that, that would have been a blank page right there. Blank, blank, two, two blank pages in my book. Fill my ask. Fill the page. <laughs> what about you, Dorian? Um, well, I thought I would read a poem from this little new uh, chapbook that I have called Salt. Nice. And um, I really love the, the title page because it's, it's all the letters falling off of them. Oh, I love that. And piling up like salt. I just, I think that's so wonderful. Yeah, it's really wonderful. You can see it, but. Who designed, who, who, who created this? Um, actually, the woman who is my um, kind of, you know, events agent, mm -hmm. uh, Vaughn Felder. And she has an, um, um, an agency called the Field Office. Nice. And she holds a lot of poets there. Okay. And, um, and I'm one of them, you know, and they, her and her boyfriend recently got a printing press <gasps> and, um, I wanted to make a chapbook and she said, Oh, we'll make it for you. And oh, all I want for Christmas is a printing press. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Imagine, you know, <laughs> and, uh, so anyhow, this is Lori and I both have in common strong bonds 
uh, with our mother's relation, like all us women yeah. and men, but you know. Um, we've been talking about it a lot lately, right, Dee? Yeah. And we've been talking about it a lot. We've been writing poems yeah. for our mothers a lot. So I thought I'd read a poem for my mother that's pretty recent in here. And it's not even really for her, so to speak, but it's mothers, grandmothers, daughters, you know. And, um, and so I, you got driveways, I got the idea of the cup as nice. being somehow symbolic of the mother, daughter, grandmother, I don't know, relationship. Yeah. it's a beautiful vessel, you know, mm. the cup. I love that. Shells are hollowed out stones, curved bones, wooden leaves, shaped clay, glazed and fired, tin, porcelain, glass, pale ceramic, paper, or plastic. The cup, we are told, holds on, invented by no one, made to contain and appease water, tea, coffee, hot chocolate or pudding, carrot soup, a carnival of uses. One-handled, two-handled, painted or plain. There is no one, I imagine, who is against the cup. Even the unmatched cup, alone in its namesake cupboard, its twin having fallen with a great noise to the floor in shards and stars. A grandmother, somewhere in time, packed her cups in a suitcase, carried them into the new world on a ship, the frosted waves clashing and shattering under the tin foil moon. Not one of her packed cups cracked. When she died, she left them to her daughter, who swaddled them in newsprint, her hands shaking as she put them away, the same hands she cupped around her mother's face, drinking her in before the last wave washed her away. Hmm. <clears throat> I love that. I love that. And Dor Dorian, do you say, do you say in the poem, because this is the first time I'm hearing it, um, I got, I love it. God, it reminds me of the slipper poem, you know, with your mom. Oh, right. The slipper poem. Okay. I forgot the title. Um, me too. The toothpaste. <laughs> Do you say in the poem, the cup holds on? Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that so much. Like giving the cup that, you know, agency to just have, you know, the cup is the one holding on now. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. I, I know. I love that. And then you got that Sestina thing going on with cupped, you know, at the end, how the language changes. I just love that so, so much. Um, you know, it's amazing. I've been thinking a lot. This this is so great, too, Dorian, because um, I wanted to bring this up, actually. Um you back back in Oregon. I'm going to talk about Oregon quite a bit. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> but I remember you gave us all these little dog tags. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, yes, I do. I do. Yeah, and I have kept mine till this day. And you, mine said, "Hear their history." And I thought, perfect for you. Yeah, yeah I know. But it, it's a, it's amazing because when you said hear their history, I thought, okay, okay, Dorian approves that. Like I can I can do the whole you know, um, my Armenian background and Lebanon. But then I thought about it more and more through the, through the years. And um, I thought it could be any history. 
it could be any history. And I'm, I'm finding that, I mean, you know that I just lost my mom recently, Dorian, and I'm really kind of pissed because as a poet, I'm like, mom, you didn't give me any material. You just like totally, you know, you left and I wanted your stories and I couldn't, you know, you left with so much. You didn't write a memoir because you didn't give a cuckoo about writing anything down. And, um, but then I think about people like Yvonne Bolin, who like, she wrote all about the mother or the grandmother and she didn't, you know, she even said that there were things that she had to just, it came from her imagination, imagining what it must've been like in Ireland during those years and whatever, or during wars. And, um, but I feel like there's a lot that you had to imagine to write this. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Like nothing handed to you. No, no. You know, and the fact is, if you live in the United States, your family crossed an ocean to get here. Yeah. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Thank you. You are an immigrant, you yeah. know, yeah. and your ancestors, you are grateful to them for, you know, coming over and starting a new life here. And, um, and I, yeah, I, I had to imagine this woman bringing, you know, her prized possessions and what would they be, you know? I love that. How you say, and not a, what did you say? Not a crack, like none of them, nothing yeah. was harmed. One of her crack, her cups cracked. I yeah. can't remember how I say it, but, um, yeah. but you know, I had to imagine that there would be that miracle right. that could happen, that you could be on the ship that's just right you know and yet she had packed them so carefully you know and so lovingly that they they stayed whole and there's something about that idea of staying whole even though you're being tossed everywhere you don't know what's outside it's dark it's scary you're hungry you know but you somehow persevere and so it felt like in a way a great metaphor for right now you know i mean we're on a great ship and we're not really quite sure if we're going to make it to the other side. But, right. you know, you pack what you can and you pack it carefully and you survive. You know? yeah. How'd you get the idea to write that? I mean, what, how did it come to you? I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> I love I, that. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was an assignment where I was supposed to use, I'm sure, a number of words and yeah. a phrase or something. And Lord knows, I probably had a cup yeah. sitting in front of me or... You know, who knows? I might have had a dream that night that featured a cup, you right, know. Right. I don't know. But I just suddenly looked at a cup and I thought, well, what, you know, how did we get that? And why do we have cups? Right. <laughs> What's the history of the cup, you know? Right, right. And, and I looked it up and I thought, you know, it was so amazing that, you know, of course, the first cup was our hands, you know, right. and that's how we, and and from there you think, well, you know, nobody invented this thing. Right. It, it, it came to us whole, you right. know, right. and we, we improved upon it yeah. over time, you right. know, right. all these different materials from the earth, you know, yeah. and it just seemed like so evocative suddenly. And, and yet it's sitting around me every day. I right. never would have thought of it, except that maybe somebody gave me the word or, you know, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, should I read another one? What do you think? Sure. Yeah, let's do this. Um, I was going to read, you know, it's, oh God, it's just so crazy. 
I'm just gonna speak, you know what I'll read I'll read something since we're talking about mothers um I'll read something that it's it's so it's so crazy because when you when you kind of know they're gonna leave right the parents the parent figures the mother particularly the mother figure you start preparing yourself and I think as a poet you start preparing yourself by by um writing writing and writing down not necessarily what you're feeling but what you need to um sort of um sift through like it's it's almost like instead of just her belongings I had to do that with my mind and my memory does that make sense like I had to go okay I really don't want to go to her duplex right now and clean it out I can't handle it but I can as a poet, I can handle sitting down and sifting through my mind and seeing what what I remember, what I don't, and what I need to to um, uh, uh, form or or create on my own without her. And even in my poems, I feel like I have to create this stuff without her. You know. Um, so I'll read this, um, and uh, this I think this was sort of a breakthrough for me in this time period of my writing. Um, Before the elegy, speak to her. Zavart, before you decide to go anywhere, let me construct a ship of books, saleable and plenty, free of disease and car rides, a ship anchored to everything and nothing. Zavart of my birth, a name I will not simplify for them, let them say it. Zavart, Zavart of rose petal jam and calluses. Your mother, a desert walk, her mother hovering above sheep's brain stew. Zavart, Zavart, all I have left of my first blurred sight, all that's left of my own name, its song. Leave now and I won't find the impossible argument of daybreak. Depart if you want, but the phone will keep ringing. Voice of Zavart, body of Zavart, bathing Zavart, the weight of your body on my arm as if holding a country. May you never read this, never learn what I've done. A tradition never yours, this scrawl before it should be. Your name, a drum, the only part I'll borrow. And so, Zavart, the rest can stay in their glass cases. Remember how our folklores began? God, Uchigar. Once there was and was not, a life we knew full of produce and price tags. Tell me again before you go there how you and one brother took James Dean to be a god. Aleppo tired of you. Your mother never done in the kitchen. What is it now that I'm doing? Did I actually think this would preserve you? How can I close this when a train could take you through a tunnel, a bag of dates and walnuts on your lap? Set in darkness while you chew, snickering at what you were never taught. What did I promise? Oh, yes, this. Zavart, Zavart, Zavart. What a beautiful name. Oh, I just love that name. I think I related to what you just read, Dorian, because, you know, I speak of the mother of the mother. Yes. And the ship and um, the mystery, like, like, you know, there's so much we didn't know. 
there's so much that we didn't know. And I think we're trying to constantly recreate that, you know? Yeah, well, you, like you say, you know, when I hold you, I'm holding a whole country. Oh, God. How do you know the whole country of a human being, you know, that's inside them? And it's the same country you came from. Right. You know, I, there are times when I'm talking to my daughter, when I really yeah. just want to say, is there anything you want to ask me before I die? Oh. Anything you need to know now you know before it's too late I mean I don't know how many times I've said to myself why didn't I ask my mother this why didn't I ask her that right right why didn't I say this or that you know and I just feel like giving her the chance saying just ask me or just tell me whatever you want to and yet I know she would just start crying and say mom stop being so you know ask her anyway ask her anyway I, one of these days hopefully I'm gonna get up yeah, to yeah. ask her. But, um, and that's the thing, see, with my mom, Dorian, she, I asked her, I would ask her, tell me about Aleppo. Tell me, mom, you never tell me what it was like to be young there. You never, and, um, you know, there were moments, but she didn't have the patience. And so I think that's where I have to search. What was it? What was it that didn't want her to make her relive and retell and, 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 you know, um, and then it, toward the end of her life, I realized it's not my job to, to heal that in our story, but it's my job to figure out what I need to say about it. You know, that's, that's the only job I have, what I need to say about it kind of thing. And I think, I think the thing about poetry which is so important to me is there's so much that we can claim that we, we couldn't claim before, you know, I couldn't claim any of my mother's stories before. And I thought, and now I'm realizing, Oh, well there it's, 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 I can claim it as my own now, you know, by constructing it into, into verse and putting it in lines and making it sing and, you know, um, the name you were so embarrassed of when you worked as a, as a salesperson, you know, just call me Z, just call me Z. And I'd say, mom, just teach them how to say Zubart. It's not a big deal. If they can say ukulele, damn it, mom, you know, but now to say, I can say Zubart in a poem and I can repeat it and I can, you know, as many times as I want, <laughs> you know? Yes. Repetition is incantation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You repeat it enough, she will come alive for us. And she does, right. you know, you right. encant her back into being. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Dorian, our you want to read something? Our mothers are so epic, you know, and yeah. I I don't think enough has been made of that, you know, the epic nature of the mother. And yeah. um uh they have epic journeys to get to us, you know, hey, and epic no. journeys taking care of us. This is so crazy. Dorian, you and I are definitely connected because check yeah. this out. Like I, you, I can't believe saying you're saying Epic Germany's. I've been stuck lately. Do you remember what the heck is the, the hero's journey? No. Is that what it's called? The power of myth. Remember the power of myth? I do. With Bill Moyers. Yeah. Bill Moyers and Joseph Campbell. So like some, you know, it must be the pandemic. I don't know, but I've been like rereading this. And while I'm reading this, I'm reading Adrian Rich. So it's like a side-by-side -side thing. And I don't know what's going on, but I'm reading 
what, you know, they're talking about in this and about mythology and about the hero, but I'm reading about how, you know, it's, it's the, the male figure, the man. And it's usually, usually there, I mean, there's rarely a heroine. I mean, some, some mythologies, they have a heroine, but, um, you know, the goddess or the, 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 you know, um, the fair lady or the fair damsel and whatnot. But when you said the epic journey, I'm just thinking, there's so much that we have to still write that hasn't been written. And Adrian Rich talks so much, talks so much about what is it? I keep referring to this book, blood, bread and poetry. Like this, this, this book just fuels me like this. And when I feel lost, I just go to that. And, you know, she talks about like how, you know, during the civil rights movement, she was reading James Baldwin and she was thinking about race and how, um, you know, wanting to fight for uh, racial justice empowered her as a lesbian and as a Jewish woman. And as, but then she talks about how, but when she was a mother, see, talk, get, getting it back to that, when she was a mother, she was falling prey to everything the communities were telling her to do. And she felt so rebellious and angry. And once she got out of that, she, I think, became not only, not necessarily a better mother, but I think. Um, that freedom helped her see that there had to be freedom for all on all levels, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So poetry, I think, does that. It gives us a, a, a freedom of voice, you know. And I think that's what I was getting at with driveways, that it was a breakthrough poem because I gave myself freedom to yeah. talk about the fights on the driveways, which would have been shameful as a young Armenian woman. Like, you don't talk about that in poems. You write about urns and doves. What are you doing? You know, at all. <laughs> right. Girls don't write. Get in the kitchen. You know. Yeah. Damn you. Um. But yeah. So. A lot. It's a. It's a lot. It's a lot. Why don't you read us another poem about her? Oh God. No. No. You read, D. Yeah. Yeah. You read. Are you kidding? No. No. Go. Okay. Well, I I have a long poem about my mother's epic journey you know, um, across, basically across America, but um, it's a little bit long and uh, it's in my book, you know, um, the, the latest, um, uh, only as the day is long, but this one is brand new and um, it's another um, item that I associate with my mother, which was her singer sewing machine. Um, when we were young, you know, there was always a sewing machine around because that's what people did they made their own clothes believe it or not you know people made their own clothes and it was it was necessary it was way to save money and um so everyone had a singer sewing machine pretty much and um in my neighborhood and my mother's was in the in the living room right in the middle of the whole family life Uh, us too totally in the kitchen (laughs) and so um and you have to imagine, of course, the treadle below, which the women, you know, your feet would yep. bump in order to make Pump. it. And, um, and it had the logo embedded in the, in the embossment. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, they were just beautiful machines. And, uh, and this is a poem called Singer. If I could go back to the living room window of my childhood house, look again through the pane. It would be a telescope lens through which I might see the first woman I ever met, my mother, at her sewing machine, rewinding the bobbin, 
little spool with holes like an old movie reel our tiny lives spun inside of. I might see her long piano fingers touch the balance wheel, the throat plate, the presser bar, one bare foot working the treadle, her heel revealing only the first three letters in black latticed metal, sin. My mother was what some called a sinful woman, divorced, pregnant, without a husband, a baby boy given up for adoption, remarried, another baby born of another man, a one night stand while her husband was away at war. She drank too much, thought too much, laughed with her head thrown back, danced with anyone. Too pretty, too brainy, too tall, her black hair a snare that hooked men in. But right now, she's fully visible, stretching the fabric for a kitchen curtain, a child's dress, swatches she salvaged from the deep sail bins, using the selvage for a hem, thereby cutting her handiwork by half the black oiled mechanism, banging out dress after dress, tablecloths and runners, nothing she couldn't cobble together from the waist of others. She was a very particular, peculiar mother, and by now you can see why we loved her. She was a lit fuse in the rain. She turned from her work and set those same fingers on the piano keys and pulled music through the air. Making something from nothing was what she was good at. Love, children, pants and skirts to dress them in. A table covered with cherries on which the beautiful food appeared. Roses from her front yard garden in an old cracked vase. Her long arms around our shoulders saying, sit still, eat, try not to spill anything. I love that so much. I love it so much. I remember the first time I heard you read this and I thought, damn it, I wanted to write a poem. And I didn't, I was totally lying, but I'm like, that is brilliant. That is really, she, my mother had the same sewing machine. She had the same sewing machine and her foot on that pedal. And I'm like, mom, do you know what you're doing? She's like, get away from me. <laughs> I know how to do wow. it. was bang, bang, bang. Yeah. yeah. And I love, I love, um, this is what I love the most, that you have the piano fingers, right, in the beginning. And then later, it comes back, you know, the piano fingers. And it makes me think about our mothers and our mother's mothers and, and how their talents, you know, may have been buried, may have been completely on the back burner, so to speak, you know, with the stove and everything. They, they, they never really could find out their true gifts or what they needed to give this world. It could have been, it would, may have been, and probably was way more than what they gave or what they were allowed to give. Um, and I love how when you take the sin from Singer and you just, you take that off and then you say, too pretty, too this, too that. And you can hear the voice of the neighbors, you know, people on Sunday church or this or that saying, oh, she's too this and she does that too much. She laughs way too loud. And, oh God, have you seen her flip her hair? And, you know, that kind of thing. But um, just the blame, the blame that's always given the woman when she just wants to live and she yeah. just wants to yeah. be. Yeah. She just wants to be. She wants to laugh. She, you know, she... 
she's sewing because she's got to save a penny. But Duran, this is really amazing because um, I I I want to read this poem now because I'm inspired. Like I'm like, no, Dorian, keep reading, keep reading. But I'm like, no, call response, call response. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, you know, everyone listening knows I ain't as good as you, but but I got a I got a singer. There you go. <laughs> I got, I got no. needle and thread. I got needle and thread. Um, no, there's, it's, it's amazing because you, you mentioned the, the piano fingers and that how she plays piano. And so it made me think of this newer poem that I've written. I mean, they're all kind of new. <laughs> your book was published 20 years ago. Everything's kind of new. Even your shopping list. It's right. all new. <laughs> it's all new. Um, but yeah, I think I'll, I'll think, I'll think I'll read this one because my, you know, the mother appears in it again and uh like a lot of stuff a lot of connectedness a lot of connective tissue um another word for bitterness is ache if you ask her what started it all she most probably won't blame the metronome at the top of the piano Her mother said she always wanted to play the piano, and since she never learned, then her daughter had to fill that void. No matter that the daughter, the her now, wanted a Fender instead of a generic version of a Wurlitzer up against a space worse than Gilman's yellow wallpaper, something she would later read, recognize how if men tell women what's wrong with them, then more than hell has broken loose, more than the underworld wanted to strum chords, break scales, use a fret to tame the wild of her own hair. The metronome was not the problem. It was a gift from her aunt. So the metronome was owned, unlike the no-name piano, which was rented until this, until this daughter could learn how to play Furley's right. It may be important to mention here that the neighbors had a piano and a daughter and piano lessons lined up, but the piano was their own and the father was a machinist. The her filling the void had a father who could recount the history of Mesopotamia while singing Nessun Dorma, but worked as a salesman, the type with a name tag. If this family created its own archetype, of the mother figure. It would be a female deity with, a, with great shoes, a Syrian passport, and one who had, has mastered the art of rationalizing anything. But what started it all could never be figured out because no one ever learned to play the piano or the guitar. And the mother, gone now, only reminds the daughter that familial stories are mythology with name tags. In this story, the daughter never truly learns to play any instrument and instead considers that mahogany may actually be the greatest word ever invented alongside the greatest flower, the ranunculus, because this flower is honest. It wilts sooner than later. The sphere of its bloom so impossible to unravel and barely scented, no thorn in sight. Take a story like this without plot, beginning or end, insert the music the piano could have played, and one can hear a bruised E major, a sullen D minor, and the tearing in half of borrowed sheet music 
of the newest unpaid bills. That's so wonderful. I mean, you know. I mean, look at all the connections, the a mother archetype. Like, I'm like, dude, Dorian, did you know what? <laughs> and I love that the, that it's it, it's clear anyway to me when you read that, you know, the daughter never learned to, to play the piano, but she did. She learned it through language, that mahogany, which was also a very fa favorite word of mine because the piano was mahogany, you know. Right. Right. Um, miraculous. I mean, she's she's learning the music and language. She learns to play language. You know. Right. Right. And, right. Right. Um, and I, because I never learned either. You know, all my brothers and right. sisters can play piano, guitar. You really know, play everything. And but I was the one who ended up being the poet. And yeah. and part of it was the music that attracted me. Right. And I and I really did want to play the guitar. And it was the same old thing. Girls don't play the guitar. They play the piano. And my mom went through this this trouble. We had no money. Like we were seven people in a three bedroom home. And, you know, I shared a bedroom with my aunt and grandma. But she she had it in her you know, mind that, no, I didn't. So you will. And we're going to rent it and we're going to compete with the neighbors across the street. And they've got all the big bucks and the look at the girl. She plays the piano. I'm like, mom, no, I don't want, no, I wanted to play the guitar. And it was just amazing. But the fact that when it comes back to you, so much comes back at the same time, you know, thinking of my, about my father trying to be Pavarotti and then, you know, um, you know, just thinking about uh, the father being a machinist and, yeah. and Gilman, all of a sudden Gilman came to me, her yellow wallpaper and just all of it just kind of floods, you know, just floods the mind because yeah. exactly. there's a clearing. Yeah. You just excavate and the more that you, the more you dig, the more you find, you know, the more that becomes revealed, you know, right, of that right. ancient kingdom, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which is your life. Yeah, you yeah. Know? exactly. Which is all our lives. You know? Yeah, so. yeah. Dorian, I think we need to, um, we need to hear you. Um, I, right. Oh, yes. Um, Close I, with you, I, Dee. There's Maddie. Maddie, we're, we're closing with Dee. Um, <laughs> I got a thumbs up. I don't know, actually, if I can. Let me see. Um, no, well, you have to. I mean, that's that's the deal. Yeah. No, I I uh, found this other poem that I was going to read. That maybe I'll go ahead and do. It's again, you know, mother poem. Um, <clears throat> but this is um, one about an another one about an object. You know, I love the idea of objects holding so much. And this was my mother's colander. That's the title oh. of the poem. And we all associate, of course, you know, uh, our mothers with certain kind of kitchen tools that, you yeah. know, they use. But this one moves in a little bit direction, different direction. My mother's colander. Holes in the shape of stars, punched in gray tin, dented, cheap, beaten by each of her children with a wooden spoon. Noodle catcher, spaghetti stopper, pouring cloudy rain into the sink, swirling counterclockwise down the drain, starch slime on the backside, caught in the piercings, scrubbed for 60 years, packed and unpacked, the baby's helmet during the Cold War, 
a sinking ship in the bathtub, little boat of holes. Dirt scooped in with a plastic shovel, sifted to make cakes and castles, wrestled from each other's hands, the tin feet bent and rebent. Bull daylight fell through onto our freckled faces, noon stars on the pavement, the universe we circled, aiming jagged stones, rung bells, it caught and held. So, you know, and, uh, again, and not, not really about my mother, but about that object that was so, I don't know, it just was so evocative for us children. And like we were saying, you know, both of us kind of grew up poor. So we played with whatever was available, you know, and that was probably our favorite toy. And I still own, of course, that colander and can't uh, without thinking of my mother. It hangs on the wall with its little stars, you know, which they don't make anymore. They don't make that particular kind of colander anymore. Right, right, right. They're all plastic. <laughs> well, <laughs> most of them. And they don't have the imagination of the star, you know. Right. Exactly. I love that so much. Come on. It's like the, you know, the, the object that you write about. It's like uh, you you create you create a museum, you know, in memory That's of. Not a bad thing to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love poetry. It. That can be another job for poetry. We'll take it on. We'll make museums of the world. We will take yeah. it on. We will take it on. Hey, Maddie. Hey. hey Maddie. Thank you both so much. Um, I loved starting this conversation with Lori's driveway and ending it with Dorian's colander. That feels very nice. <laughs> nice bookend okay. of powerful domestic moments. Yes. Um, yeah, and I think definitely be, be played on Mother's Day. It's a <laughs> kind of celebration of mothers. Yeah. It's an yeah. honor to be here with, with Dorian and Maddie. It's I think an honor to be here with you, sweetheart. Well, it's been it's been such a pleasure to listen to you both. And um, I think, you know, especially in pandemic times, uh, the domestic feels more powerful than ever. Um, so I, it was really, yeah, it was really wonderful to hear both of you talk about these objects that have such power and then also your own relationship, which feels very familial, um, familial and artistic at the same time. So thank you both for sharing this with our audience. Um, before we go, I just wanted to see if there's anything else we didn't talk about, any other things you wanted to mention to our audience? Well, during these times, all we can say is hang in there. You yeah. know, we got your back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good advice. One thing I'll say that um, all throughout my life, every curse, Every curse, everything that I have cursed or I've, I've believed is a curse has turned out to have its slew of blessings. There is no way I could have afforded to fly somewhere, pay the travel expense, whatever, to be, to read with Dorian or to have a podcast with Dorian. You know, I mean, I mean, podcast is already, but I mean, there's no way I could have afforded to be able to voice myself in the presence of Dorian's voice. And that is the greatest joy for me. And I know after this, I have to turn off Zoom and I have to go deal with domesticity and curse, you know, life and wait for January to, you know, whatever. But I mean, what I'm saying is in every blessing, there's a curse. You, we have to find the blessings, damn it. We have to. You have to think, you know, I never thought about how great this wall is and how I could 
but I could plaster it with every poem I've ever loved. And let's see, I have the time, you know, for those who have the time. And then, you know, for mothers, I got to say this for mothers or parents, anybody, remote schooling, it's a nightmare, but find the blessing in it, you know? God, I, I don't have to wait in the car for half an hour. I get to hug him, her immediately when we turn off Zoom. I mean, there's there's, there's got to be some kind of blessing in it. Yeah. You know? yeah, my daughter and I call it silver lining shit. She's like, <laughs> there's some silver that. lining shit for you, mom. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so remember that, everyone, silver lining shit. Great advice. Great advice going into our, our new and hopefully less terrible year. Yeah. Oh, no, no. 2021. May it be blessed. May it be blessed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So my guests today were Lori Bedikian and Dorianne Locks. Thank you both so much for joining us. It's been a delight having you. Um, I hope we get to hang out all together in the store someday soon. Yeah. Well, we will. We will. Yeah. <laughs> we will. Definitely. All right. So check out their books, everybody. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Take care out there and happy new year. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.